Amen. It's been a blessing. Brother Mike, come preach to us. <laughs> Don't worry, I won't mess it up. My papa I know. carved that duck, all right? I know. So. I won't mess it up. I know, I know. I'm going to be very careful with it. Well, you know what? You see this right here? Uh-huh. When I was a kid, I didn't realize how valuable this was that my granddad <laughs> would carve this. And I took, you know, remember when cars used to have those cigarette lighters? You push them in, they get red hot. I pushed it against that. Oh, no. My mom was ready to skin me alive. Well, I'll take better care of it. Amen. Oh, goodness. It's good to be out here on a Thursday night. Amen. As Scotty says on Star Trek, I'm going to give her all she got. Amen. Tonight. But it's Thursday night. I may not be as energetic as I was on Monday or Sunday, but I'm going to do everything that I can. But it's just so good to be in the house of the Lord on a Thursday night. And uh, I know that the Lord can speak to our heart. I was looking up the definition of revival. And, it, you know, this definition, it is a worldly definition, but it's a definition that kind of relates to what we're talking about this week. Revival is an improvement in the condition or strength of something. And I believe with all of my heart that all of us need improvement. Has anybody arrived to where they don't need to improve in their Christian life? Anybody at all? Okay, I just wanted to make sure, because if you're in here, I wanted to find more about you. <laughs> I want to know a little bit more about what, how you got there. Well, I know that I need improvement, and that's what revival's all about. Revival is about taking our lives and just being real. You know, a lot of times we don't want to be real with ourselves because it embarrasses us. It causes us to think about ourselves and realize the lack of things that we don't have in our lives that God wants in our lives. And so as we look in the scriptures tonight, I'm going to have a little fun tonight. This right here, this is a what's called a decoy. Now, I, I know there's a lot of hunters out there, and your eyes got really big when I started to bring this up. And so at least I've got the hunter's attention tonight. But I know that these are decoys. Now, um, I've never used a decoy. I've watched hunters use decoys like that. I've watched hunters use deer decoys to bring in the deer. And I, I've never done that. In fact, when I go deer hunting, I don't spray all that stinky stuff all over me. I just take with me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I always find a deer that comes up because they smell that jelly and they start to come closer. And all I got to do is shoot them. And then I go back to my lunch and eat it. And so y'all, y'all deal with all that, all this other stuff because, you know, this is something that's not real. You know, I can't cut into this. I can't put it in the oven and start eating it. It's not going to taste very good, is it? This is just a duck. It's just made of wood. There's no life to this. It's absolutely fake. And I want us to think about our Christian life tonight because there's a lot of Christianity out there that is fake. They are trying their best to act as if they are godly, but in all honesty, they're just religious people. In fact, you will find all over this world that there is fake Christianity, but fake Christianity will not produce revival. We cannot trick God with our counterfeit religious lifestyle. We don't have biblical lives anymore. We've got religious lives. People decide how they want to live according to what makes them feel all warm and fuzzy inside. And so what do they do? They take a little bit of the Word of God, they take a little bit of their warm and fuzziness, and they put it all together, and they say to themselves, I'm a good person, I'm a religious person, so I must be okay. Well, when I look in the Scriptures, 
We're going to read a couple of things. So turn with me to Judges chapter 17. Hold your place there. And then go over to 2 Timothy chapter 3 tonight. Judges chapter 17. Hold your place there. We're going to read one verse out of there. And then we're going to read one verse out of the book of 2 Timothy chapter number 3. And then we'll pray. In verse number 13 of chapter 17, the Bible says, Then said Micah, Now know I that the Lord will do me good, seeing I have a Levite to be to my priest. Now turn over to 2 Timothy chapter number 3 and look at verse number 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, the Bible says there, from such turn away. I want to pray, and then we'll get into the message. Father, I thank you so much for how you've spoken to our hearts all week. Uh, Lord, we know that there's a lot of fake Christianity out there, and God, I pray that it does not get into our own lives. Lord, I pray that it doesn't get into our churches. Lord, I pray that we guard against it. Lord, I pray that we guard against it in our own life. And Father, I pray that we are real, not only in this church house, but also for the world to see. Father, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there are a lot of fake things in this world. I started to read some of them. There's fake nails. There's fake trees. I went to Ikea today, and there are all kinds of fake plants there. And I like those fake plants because you don't have to water them, and I don't have to rebuy them. I think I'm just going to buy Kelly a dozen roses that are fake, and then I don't have to worry about buying them anymore because they'll look good all the time. Well, don't you think? And husbands are going, no, don't do that. <laughs> you know, there's fake flowers. There's fake trees. Uh, there's, there's fake money. I found out the other day, there's fake hair, brother. We're, we're, this stuff, they got this stuff, it's called hair fiber. And you just, you just shake it on there, and you just do this, and all of a sudden, it looks like you got hair. I'm trying to find out where it is. I think that would be great, don't you? I mean, my goodness, I, I'd make sure I'd make those fibers go a little bit longer so I could have this. I'm going to have angelic hair when I get to heaven. It won't be over my ears, understand that. But I'll have this angelic hair, and I'm going to have this beautiful hair. But there's fake hair out there. Some of you might have it. There's fake hair out there. There's all kinds of fake things. Right? They're not real. In Christianity, there's also fake Christianity. Now, in this passage, we're going to find a family who is religious but not godly. Folks, I want us to really consider being a godly Christian, not a religious Christian because there's a lot of religions out there, but a godly Christian because, listen to this, the Buddhists consider themselves religious, the Hindu consider themselves religious, Muslims consider themselves religious, Satanists consider themselves religious, so all of those people consider themselves religious, but they do not consider themselves godly. When I start to look at the scriptures, I find that there's godliness that's taught throughout the entire scriptures. All 66 books is always pointing to godliness. Now, we don't always listen to that because it goes against what the fleshly desires want. It goes against what the world is doing right now and their form and definition of being religious. But I think that we need to get back to the old biblical ways of being godly and saying and looking at the world and not living our lifestyles according to what the flesh or the world says, but according to what thus saith the Lord. Sixty percent of Americans across this country consider themselves religious. But when I begin to think of godliness 
I realize that that number drastically diminishes when you start to measure it according to the godliness of the Holy Scriptures. And so when I look at this passage of Scripture, I see a family that tried to be religious, but they were not godly. So look in the, back to Judges chapter 8, 17, and let's begin reading in verse number 1. And there was a man of Mount Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said unto his mother, The eleven hundred shekels of silver that were taken from thee, about which thou cursest and spakest of also in my ears, behold, the silver is with me, I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be thou of the Lord my son. Now here, first of all, I see when we're talking about somebody who is living a fake Christian life or just a religious life, first of all, I see a lack of integrity in this family. Uh, here, first of all, the son steals from his mom. Can you imagine? I, I can't even imagine stealing from my mom. I remember my mom's purse was in church one day and I looked down and there was a piece of bubble gum in her purse. And so me being a young boy, I was like, I want that piece of bubble gum. Well, I went into the purse and as I started to put my hand in the purse, I felt this hand grab me by the neck and it was my, my dad pulling me back and say, don't ever put your, your hand in your mama's purse. So I can't imagine stealing from my mom. But here Micah had admitted that he had stolen. And it's very interesting. When you start to look at verse number 2, you really see the dynamic of this family. You start to see the attitude. You start to see the character. You see the lack of integrity for these people. And so here in this verse it says, And he said unto his mother, The eleven hundred shekels of silver that were taken from thee, about which thou, what does the Bible say there? Curseth and spaketh of also in my ears. I mean, this woman, she had lost this money. She didn't realize that the son had taken it. And she's been complaining. She's been cursing. In fact, the Bible says that she was so upset about it that she would rehearse this anger in his actual ears. Now, when he got to this point in verse number two, I don't believe for one moment he was sorry for what he did. But I believe for this time period, he was frustrated with his mom and he was finally giving up because he was tired of his mom complaining. And we get to this verse, and what does the Bible say there? And which thou curses, and spakest of also in my ears. Look at what it says there in verse number 17. Behold, the silver is with me. I took it, and look at what changes in his mother's life. And his mother said, blessed be thou of the Lord, my son. Oh, she got spiritual real quick. I mean, first of all, she's all mad, she's angry, she's cursing in her son's ear, and at the end of it, she's finally getting back to her religious lifestyle. I was talking to somebody many years ago, and we're sitting there talking, and I'm telling you, he was saying curse words I had never heard before in my life, and every other word was a curse word. And so I'm trying my best. I felt the Holy Spirit want me to talk to this man about Christ. And I'm sitting here listening to this guy speak, and he wouldn't shut up. And I'm like, Lord, you're going to have to give me a shoe in here because this guy will not stop talking. And every word that he's saying, it seems like it's a curse word. Well, finally, he stopped talking for a moment. And I said, well, sir, do you go to church around here? And he started talking a little bit about church, and then he found out I was a preacher. The moment he found out I was a preacher, guess what? The cursing stopped. In fact, he was praising God by the end of that conversation. He was telling me how he got saved at a young age. He was telling me how God blessed his life and everything. I mean, his whole demeanor changed. 
Well, I think that's exactly what happened in this woman's life. Here she is. She's all mad. She's cursing. She's angry at her son. and then Well, she's angry at somebody. And then she finds out that her son has it. And the Bible says, he looks at her and says, The silver is with me. I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my son. And so here we see a lack of integrity in the family. I believe that the son was frustrated here. He wasn't frustrated because he was, he was sorry for the sin. He was frustrated because his mom was so angry at the situation. But then we get to verse number three, and we start to see a lack of biblical commitment. I believe with all of my heart that if you want to be godly, you've got to commit to the word of God. You've got to commit to what thus saith the Lord. You cannot make your own ideas up. You cannot listen to what the world says when they are smiling with their, in their sin. We've got to stay in line with what God says and how we should live. And so this is a biblical commitment, but there was a lack of it in this passage of Scripture. In verse number 3, we see there it says, And when he had restored the eleven hundred shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver unto the Lord from mine hand for my son to make a graven image and a molten image. Now, therefore, I will restore it unto thee. Yet he restored the money unto his mother, and his mother took 200 shekels of silver. Now, here we see that there's a lack of biblical commitment. Uh, these people already knew. They already knew because we find out later on that there were some people that would come in their life that would share biblical principles with them, but they weren't going to listen. And we find out that they were going to use this silver, they were going to use this shekels of silver to make what the Bible says a graven image and a molten image. Now in Exodus chapter, if you go over with me if you want, Exodus chapter 20, in verse number 4, the Bible says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above and that is in the earth beneath and that is water under the earth. So right there, they were going against the word of Almighty God. They were not going to listen to God, but they were doing what everybody else was doing. They were doing what everybody else in their land was doing. They were worshiping other gods. They would get these molten images, and they would put them in their lifestyles, and they would think that they were okay. I met a guy not too long ago. He had a cross on his neck, and he carried this cross on his neck, and I looked at him, and I was trying to share the gospel. And he looked at me and he said this, Sir, as long as I have this cross around my neck, I'm going to go to heaven. I'll be okay. And I said, Sir, let me ask you this question. What would happen if you lose that cross? He said, Well, I guess I'll have to go to the store and buy another cross. I said, Well, I'll go a step further. What, will ha what would happen if you died by the time you got to the store and you never got to that cross? What would happen to you? He said, well, sir, I never thought about that. I told him, I said, listen, you don't have to put your trust in an object. You can put your trust in a person, and that's Jesus Christ. And when he left there and I gave him a track and I tried to help him understand, it's not about what you're wearing. It's about what's inside of your heart. It's not about jewelry. It's not about a tattoo that you have on your arm. It's about your relationship with Almighty God. And when he realized that, it, some light bulbs went off. And I pray he went home and he got saved. I don't know. But folks, there's a lot of people out there that think that they're okay just because they have a religious object in their home. I was 
out on visitation one time, and me and a friend of mine, we're out there on visitation, and we go into this house. This guy invites us into the house to talk about God. And we sit down in front of his coffee table, and I'm the prayer partner at that time. We always did it in teams where I would pray while he gave the gospel. And so as he's giving the gospel, I'm praying. I'm, I'm asking God to open up this man's heart so that he would get saved. So as Mr. Hubbard was giving the gospel to him, I'll never forget listening, and this guy kept going, okay, yes, okay. And in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be awesome. This man's going to get saved. And so at the end of the conversation, after Mr. Hubbard finished, all of a sudden he looked at Mr. Hubbard. He said, well, sir, I just want you to know I'll be just fine. And Mr. Hubbard said, okay, does that mean that you already know, you already know you're going to heaven? He said, oh, yeah. He said, look at that. Look right on that coffee table. And we looked down on the coffee table, and we had, he had this big, huge family Bible. How many got a big, big, huge one? I mean, one you never open. It's just too big to read and too big to hold on. I think we all should just carry those family Bibles around, around the world and show them what the Bible is all about. But this guy had this big, huge family Bible on the, on the coffee table, and he looked at us, and he says, I'm going to be okay as long as this is in my house. You know what? He never had accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior because he thought he could be okay with a religious object in his house. How many of you have friends and family who have religious objects in their home and they think they're okay? There are people with images of Christ on their walls and they think that they're okay. They think that they've got a cross in their home. They think they're okay. They think that they've got a lot of copies of the scriptures in their home. They think they're okay, but I'm going to tell you, there's going to be a lot of people in hell that had religious objects in their home because they never accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Oh, you mean, Brother Mike, there's going to be religious people in hell? Oh, I believe there are. I believe there's going to be religious people in hell. And I think that's exactly what these people were doing. They were trying to live the lifestyle, but it wasn't real. It was fake. There, were, there was no commitment to God's word. There was no commitment to the truth of God's word. Oh, they, they committed to what felt good, what everybody else was doing. They thought to himself, well, we have these, these objects in our home, these molten images, these graven images. Everybody will look at us and they'll think we're religious folk. They'll think we're godly, we're okay. But in all reality, it's not about what man sees, it's about what God knows. You see, folks, God knows exactly who we really are. He knows if we're religious or godly. He knows if we're fake or not. He knows what kind of lifestyle we really live outside of these doors. You see, it's really easy for me to live as a Christian inside of these doors. It's really easy for me to be a Christian right here. But when I'm out there in Walmart, that's when the rubber meets the road. When you're out there on the road, that's when it's going to mean something. When you're out there with your friends or your coworkers, you're at school, you're amongst your peers, that's when it's going to really mean something because that's when the test begins. You see, Christian, we've got to be real, not only in this church house, but also for this world to see what a real Christian is all about. They need to see godliness. They need to see holiness. They need to see what thus saith the Lord God. And as they make fun of us because we follow the word of God, that's okay because we're doing what's right. We're living a godly not life, not a fake life. I mean, these people had no biblical commitment. And I believe if we're going to have revival this week, we've got to commit ourselves and our lives to the Bible. What God says 
but there was a lack of commitment. If you go on in verse number four, it says, yet he restored the money unto his mom, he gives it all back, his mother. His mother took 200 shekels of silver. Now, I want you to look at this because I think, again, this really shows the integrity or lack of it in, in, in this woman's life. What does she say in verse number three? It says, I had wholly dedicated, that means 100%. And then she gets down to verse number four, and she took 200 shekels of silver. Now, how many, how many hundreds of shekels of silver did she have in the first place? She had 1,100. And yet, she only took 200, so that left whatever was left over of that. I'm not a mathematician, but it was not 100%, was it? So we're, what happened to the rest of it? Oh, I'm going to give everything to the Lord. But yet when it comes down to it, what does she do? She holds most of it back. You see, she was trying to be, she was trying to be religious in front of her son. She was trying to be this, this great individual in front of her son saying, I wholly dedicated all of it for you so I can make a golden image and I can make a molten image. Even though it was wrong, she lied right there, I believe. His mother took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to the founder, who made thereof a graven image and molten image. And they were in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a house of gods, that's God's little g, and made an ephod and teraphim and consecrated one of his sons, who became his priest. In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Now here in verse number 6, we start to see a lack of discernment. When we start to live a fake Christian life, then that means we have a lack of discernment according to what God says we are supposed to do. And so we start to worry about what's right and what's wrong. We start getting manipulated by the world as to what they have as far as the definition of sin. Do you realize, folks, that the world is taking the definition of sin and making it into their own definition, and it's going against what God said? I mean, what was right is now wrong. What is wrong is now right. And everybody is confused today, and they're trying to live whatever way they want. They, and you know why? Because there's no king in their life. There's absolutely no ruler in their life. There's no authority in their life. They've chosen for themselves to be the authority. So guess what that means? That means chaos. And that's why they believe anything. They sway back and forth and they go to and fro and they, 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 they just believe whatever they want. Well, here there was a lack of discernment. He's trying his best to make this house of gods. And you'll find out later on that it was a, a bunch of gods that had no power. God's little G. But yet at the end of this passage of scripture, you're going to see that he's going to go ahead and throw a little bit out and worship the one true God. So what is he doing there? There's a lack of discernment. He thinks to himself, well, I can go ahead and I can worship the one true God. I can worship my other gods and everything's going to be okay. That's not the way God looks at it. You know, the Bible says that we cannot love one and love the other too. The Bible says we will either love one and hate the other. So here I see that you can't love the God's little g. You can't love the things of this world and then try to love God at the same time. It doesn't mix. It's like oil and water. It doesn't mix. 
because there's a lack of discernment. Folks, we need discernment in our lives today. And how do we find that discernment? How do we find the answers to those questions when we look in the Holy Word of God to find the answers? When we listen to the preaching of the Holy Word of God, when we are in the house of God and we are taking the notes needed to be able to take home and be able to meditate on those words. Why? Because we want discernment in a spiritual way. We want to live a life that is godly. We want to live a life that is pleasing unto our Heavenly Father, not pleasing unto our flesh, not pleasing unto the world. This man was trying to mix He's trying to mix the world with God. He had no biblical permission to do this. Many years ago, I was a youth pastor for 13 years, and I tell people all the time, that's how I've lost my hair. And then I got teenage girls, <laughs> and I lose my mind. <laughs> but, you know, I, I got to thinking about this when I was studying this passage of Scripture, and I'll never forget, there was this one young lady who just, you know, sometimes teenagers frustrate you, Okay. Teenagers, put your fingers in your ears for just a moment. Teenagers frustrate you, okay? They, they don't listen like you would like them to listen, right? Amen? All God's people said amen. And so I'll never forget being a youth pastor. I was trying to teach these young people just, just what God says about things, about how to live, what to say, what, how, to, how to dress, all these different things. And I tried my best, and I'll never forget, there was this one young, young lady that she just wanted to argue with me all the time. And she just wanted to say, no, I don't need to worry about that. I'm, I'm going to be okay. And I tried to preach from the Word of God, and I tried everything. And I'll never forget, I was, I was kneeling at the altar one night. Uh, everybody had already left. And I'm like, Lord, I need something to help. I, I need your help right now because I'm giving them everything I can, and they ain't listening. And so I went back, and the Lord was pricking my heart and just talking to me that night. And just I was reading the word of God. And the Lord impressed something on my heart that really helped me. I realized it's not about me giving her permission. It's not about me finding someone to give her permission. It's about her getting biblical permission to live her life. So guess what I told her when she came back to me? I looked at her and said, hey, if you want to do that, you go right ahead if you've got biblical permission to do it. Well, she looked at me. She's like, well, wait a minute now. That means i got to read the Bible. <laughs> you know, my little laugh there. I was like, yes, you are going to need to read the Bible. And you're going to have to find out for yourself if you get biblical permission to live your life. Oh, my goodness. She went home. She was madder than a hornet when she left. She got back the next week, and she looked at me all mad. She was dressed right at that time, <laughs> and she looked at me, and I said, well, what happened? She says, well, I couldn't find biblical permission to live the way I wanted to live right then. And she was still mad at me, but that was okay because I took the responsibility off me and said, okay, it's yours, God. <laughs> and it was so much easier. Folks, that is so simple when you think about it, but it's so real. If you want to live the way you're living and you get biblical permission to do it, you go right ahead. Have a good time. Live that godly life. But if you can't find it, then it ain't biblical. You don't have it in your life to say, I can do that. And so guess what? If we don't have biblical permission to live the life that we're living, guess who we're going against? 
We're going against our Heavenly Father. We're not going against the church. We're not going against the preacher. We're going against our Heavenly Father. So guess who we have to answer to? Our Heavenly Father. You see, God gives us all of the answers that we need on how to live. But yet the, this family, they weren't interested in looking at, looking at that. They weren't interested in discernment. They weren't interested in biblical permission. And then you go on and you look at what verse number 7 says. There was a young man out of Bethlehem, Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. And the man departed out of the city from Bethlehem, Judah, to sojourn where he could find a place. And he came to Mount Ephraim to the house of Micah as he journeyed. And Micah said unto him, Whence comest thou? And he said unto them, I am a Levite of Bethlehem, Judah, and I go to sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah said unto him, Dwell with me, and be unto me a father and a priest. And I will give thee ten shekels of silver by the year, and a suit of peril, and thy victuals. So the Levite went in. And in verse number 11, the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man was unto him as one of his sons. And Micah consecrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest, and was in the house of Micah. Then said Micah, Now know I that the Lord will do me good, seeing I have a Levite to my priest. You see, he was doing the same thing that that man with the, with the coffee table and the Bible on the coffee table. He's doing the same thing that that man did with the cross around his neck. He's looking at the situation, thinking to himself, I am just okay because I've got some religious objects in my life and I'm just going to keep doing this and the Lord is going to do me good. Oh man, that's the way that our, our world is living right now. We got so many people living the religious lifestyle. They're not living a godly lifestyle. They're trying to live a religious lifestyle. They're doing things that are completely against the word of God, and then they call themselves religious. I heard one of the congressmen recently that, that believes you should be able to abort a baby and they believe in homosexuality and they believe in so many things that go against this word of God. And somebody literally asked him, they said, listen, are you a religious man? Oh, yes, I'm a religious man. Oh, I looked at that TV and I wanted to yell loud, yeah, you may be religious, but you ain't godly. You ain't godly according to the word of God. But yet there are people out there that are looking at a man like that and they're thinking to themselves, well, if he's religious, then I must be religious too. You know what we need to get in our, in our Christianity? We need to have a revival of being real in our lives so that the world will see Jesus Christ. They need to see Jesus Christ in our life. They need to hear a Christian and how he talks. They need to see how a Christian is supposed to look. They need to see when a Christian says, no, they can't go to this place because it goes against the word of God. They need a Christian that will stand firm on the word of God, that will stand firm on what they believe because they believe in the holy word of God. You see, we're sick and tired of fake Christianity. It's not getting us anywhere, amen? People aren't getting saved with fake Christianity. People aren't getting right with God in fake Christianity. They're living their life. They are doing the things that they think are okay. But in all reality, they are disappointing God with their life. They are pleasing the devil with their life. And they are not directing people to Jesus Christ. 
So when I look at this passage of Scripture, I realize that if you were to study, we don't have time to go through it, but if you look in chapter 18 and chapter 19, you'll find something out. God never did him good in these passages. In fact, Michael lost everything because he thought he could manipulate God. He thought he could live his own lifestyle, and he tried to trick God with his fake religious life. And so I looked at this, and I started thinking, Lord, I don't want to live a fake Christian life. I don't want to live a life that is not pleasing to you. If, I, if God was up here right now, does God consider us godly? If God was to give a report of our life, would he say, hey, there's a fake Christian. Oh, they look like a Christian. They act like a Christian at church. But when they go to work, they're all fake. When they go to school, they're all fake. When they're at home, they're all fake. But boy, when they come in the doors of the church house, oh, they look like it, but they're not real. They're just like this fake duck right here. There's no substance to this. There's no life in this duck. There's nothing inside of this that is going to help me. And so I look at my life and I think to myself, well, does God consider me godly? Does God consider you godly? Does God consider you fake? Or are you trying to live this religious lifestyle that looks real good and you think to yourself, well, I'll just keep doing it, and you think you're going to trick God? You know, one of the hardest things I have to get over sometimes is the fact that God knows everything about me. That scares me sometimes because I know me. He knows every thought that I think. He knows every place that I go. He knows every word that I say. He knows every sin that I commit. He knows the weaknesses that I have. He also knows the strengths that I have. But he also knows when I fall short. He knows when I fall down. He knows everything about me. Well, let me tell you something, folks. He also knows everything about you, too. You know what we need? We need to get rid of this fake Christianity and start living the right kind of life according to what God says and get biblical permission for the way that we're living right this very moment. So I'm going to leave you with this question tonight. Do you have biblical permission? So I'm taking the responsibility off the preacher tonight. Do you have biblical permission to live the way that you're living? Do I have biblical permission to live the way that I'm living? If I don't, guess what I better get really quick? Biblical permission. And look in the word of God and say, yes, God, and no to everything else. Father, I thank you so much how you convict our hearts. But, Lord, sometimes we do get stubborn. Lord, sometimes our pride gets in the way. and We try to live a fake life. And, Lord, tonight I see the fact that there are so many people all over this world that are dying and they are perishing. And Lord, a lot of it has to do with the fact that us Christians are not living the way that we need to live according to what thus saith you. And so, Father, tonight, I pray that you'll convict our hearts, Lord. I, I wish there was a revival of just biblical permission to live the way that we're living. And so, Father, prick our hearts. I know we're tired tonight. I know it's been a long week. But, Father, I know that you can continue to speak to our hearts. And Lord, I know that you will show us where we do fall short. And so, Lord, help us. Right now, Lord, show us 
where we're, we may have some fake things in our life, help us to get rid of it. And Lord, if there's anyone here tonight that does not know you as Lord and Savior, may tonight be their night of salvation. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask you a question tonight. Maybe you're here tonight and you say, Brother Mike, you know what? If I died right now, I'm not sure that I'd go to heaven and you want me to pray for you. Maybe that's you tonight. If, if you died right now, you're not sure that you would go to heaven and you want me to pray for me. Would you just slip up your hand real quick and put it back down? I just want to pray for you. Anybody anywhere? You say, Brother Mike, I'm not sure that I'm going to heaven and I just want you to pray for me. Christian, let me ask you this, and I don't want you to raise your hand. Are you living a fake Christian life outside of these doors? You know, it's not my responsibility to know your life. God already knows. You already know. Do you have biblical permission, young people, to live the way you're living? Adults, do you have biblical permission to live the way that you're living? If you don't, it's up to you and I whether or not we're going to do something about it tonight. Don't put it off. Because when you do, you put off God blessing your life. Father, speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would stand with me, heads bowed and eyes closed as the pianist begins to play. You know, I think the question has to be asked, and that's this, are we real? I think we're living in a generation that doesn't really desire or appreciate biblical Christianity. There's a form of godliness. But American pop Christianity is not biblical. Revival's getting real with God. You know, the truth of the matter is God already knows. Take your hymn tonight, turn to page 174. Let's sing a verse and chorus of this song as we close our service this evening. May this be the prayer of our heart. Search me, O God, and know my heart today. Sin and 
Grenzen. 